0: This little talk is out of 1 Timothy chapter six and we're gonna be looking at verses 11 to 16 and it's entitled Fight the Good Fight. And uh, that's actually the title of a famous hymn but that's where that hymn is taken from, this passage. And and Timothy refers to, uh, sorry, Paul refers to Timothy making his good confession in front of many witnesses. And it's generally believed that was a reference to Timothy's baptism. So, how appropriate is that? And, and uh, so, I'm going to hopefully give a little bit of insight into this passage, which will encourage all of us, not just the, the baptized, the people who are getting baptized. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you for this, uh, this great day uh, and, and this great moment. Uh, as we witness the baptism of, of these guys, we just want to say thank you for them and your, ask your blessing upon them. And now as we consider this and what this means and how this, how this is something that goes beyond today, I pray, Lord, that your spirit will just ride it on our hearts and, and that we will set our minds and will to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll talk about fighting the good fight. I, I fought the good fight yesterday in that Fliss, my wife, was in bed with man flu, I don't know how she caught it, but it's definitely crossing over. She was in bed with man flu, and the problem with that was, was that yesterday afternoon my, one of my, gra- my grandchildren was having a party in, the, in Clarence Park near here, and had bought all these ingredients to make uh, you know cakes, and uh, biscuits, and fairy cakes, and brownies, and goodness knows what, and there was all this stuff there, and I just knew she was not going to be able to do that. So I thought, well, you know what? You know what? I'm going to make these uh, yeah, brownie things. How difficult can that be? This is the guy that has changed the gearbox on a Mark 1 Ford Escort. This is the guy that has changed the drive shafts on a Triumph TR6. This is the guy that has reported the head of an MGB. How difficult can making brownies be? And so I did it in my dressing gown <laughs> you know, as I was making my toast and as I was making the coffee. The first thing to go wrong was I burnt the chocolate. I mean, how can you burn chocolate? I mean, it just doesn't burn, does it? It melts, it gets in your clothes, it gets around your face. But how can you make it catch fire? <laughs> well, it does, so I found. <laughs> Fill the kitchen with smoke, black, acrid smoke. Frisk was upstairs shouting weakly, what's going on? Then I encrusted everything in the kitchen, I kid you not, with crunched up digestive biscuit. I got this Kenwood chef thing that we have, which is an absolutely monstrous machine, plonked it on the side, put a couple of pounds of digestive biscuits in, switched the thing up, and, <laughs> and <laughs> it was spectacular. The cat ran for cover under the sofa. Well, I'll never be a Jamie Oliver, that's for sure. Anyway, so I fought the good fight. But, joking apart, this sounds like old fashioned language but actually as I was reading and studying this I thought, do you know what, this is really a great message. I need to, I need to hear this message. And, and actually I, I believe that Christians today need to take this message to heart because we're under pressure as Christians, we really are. There was a lovely little um, article in the Irish Times. Now I, I hasten to add, I, I don't read the Irish Times, but I was at a Willow Creek board meeting and the chairman of the Willow Creek board in the UK is an Irishman and he brought this article. And it's about Katie Taylor. Katie Taylor, you may remember, was the Irish girl boxer who won a gold. And at the Irish Times, celebrated the, that fact, and it was all over the newspapers. She's a sweet girl. There she is, training. She, uh, she looks pretty serious there, and serious, You know, she's a serious uh, athlete, but she's also very attractive, and she's also a born-again Christian. I didn't know this, but Wallace Pepper, my friend, gave me this article. He said, look at this, Chris, this is incredible. This is the Irish Times, and basically, it's an article, a long article, which is, a, which, which is noting the fact that every time Katie, when she was interviewed, um, made the point or mentioned the fact that she was a Christian, a lover of Jesus, the the interviewer's eyes kind of glazed over. The whole article, and you can check it out on Google, just Google Katie Taylor's faith, something like that, Irish Times, and you'll read it. It's a great article. If I had time, I would read it to you. It is so well written. But you know, uh, I just need my glasses on here. I'm just gonna quote a couple of little lines which I thought were particularly sweet. Begins with, the boxer's faith makes interviewers squirm but is intrinsic to her worldview, her personality, and her right hook. Goes on to say, each time she mentioned Jesus, it was as though she had not spoken or said something else. As though she had been talking about her training regime or wittering about the thrill of winning a medal her interviewer would jump upon some smaller dimension of what she had just said, as though terrified that the religious dimension of Katie Taylor might cause the metal to melt. If instead of repeating, refer, uh, re- referring repeatedly to Jesus, Katie had referenced her Aunt Margaret or Richard Dawkins, we can be certain that there would have been lots of follow-up questions, and that the newspapers next day would have been all of them, and provided chapter and verse of her lifetimes and the perspectives of the, her credited mentors. It goes on and on and on in the same vein. The last little thing is, is very sweet. It's almost like worship, and this is not a Christian magazine. The last little phrase is, but here's the news, folks. The medal belongs to nobody but Katie, who alone seems to know that it's but a token of the embrace that enfolds her. Wow. That is an amazing article. But here we have a secular journalist writing in a major national, the Irish Times, making the point that, if you, as a Christian, if you mention Jesus, suddenly everybody kind of disses and blanks you. We've gotta fight the good fight. And this is what's happening in this passage. Paul is in prison, he's writing to Timothy because actually the Christian church at this time is going through a tough time. There's, there is some heresy coming into the church, there's some pressure coming into church and there's also some persecution coming into the church. You might like to read the whole of 1 Timothy and indeed 2 Timothy, it'll take you 25 minutes tops. But get the vibe, get the, the frustration and the anxiety of Paul, the apostle, the great church planter, the great church leader chained and frustrated in, in jail when he feels he should be out there doing something. But no, all he can do is write to his, his you know, uh, prodigy, Timothy, and say listen, uh, Timothy, th- think about this and do that and do the other. But he finishes up with this, this glorious passage which I'll read now and, uh, and then make one or two points from. Verse 11, chapter 6, he says, But you, man of God, flee from all of this. And all of this being the love of money and all that's going on in society at that time. We'll spend some more time on that perhaps in October, but to keep to the point. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fighter for the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, God the blessed and the only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, and who who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever, amen. Now to understand this we have to understand a little bit of the stuff that's vexing Paul and as we do that we'll begin to get the drift of it and it'll all come clear as I hopefully back and work through this. Let's begin with what I call the appearance. This passage, these eight verses, the, 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 the best bit of it is, a, is the reference to Jesus appearing. But in fact, in that, Paul is making a very serious point that was culturally relevant, just as talking about the way Christians are being dissed today is culturally relevant, and in 200 years time, if someone was to read that Irish Times article, they'd go, what, What? I don't understand. Here, what was happening was that the church was living in a Roman world, and in the Roman world, Caesar was Lord, not Jesus is Lord, Caesar is Lord and when Caesar appeared, which was very, very, very rarely, when he appeared in public, he was regarded as a deity, or at least the son of a deity. His dead father would have been God, and he was about to be made God. And it was a little bit like Well, let me put it this way, I wonder. uh, Some of you may have seen a very famous old Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer movie called Cleopatra. And in this movie, Elizabeth Taylor comes to Rome and there's Rex Harrison and Richard Burton, I can see all the young people's eyes glazing over. But who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's great, some movie buffs here. It's an extraordinary thing, I wanted to show it but it actually lasts nine minutes. It was too long a clip. But the entrance of Cleopatra is absolutely staggering and it finishes in a lovely way. You'll probably rush home and wanna watch it but but it finishes with Cleopatra walking, having come into the town, and uh, into the city and it is just gobsmacking. You know you are in the presence of a deity. And she walks down these steps Stands before Caesar and winks at him. It's kind of amusing moment. But the reason I mention that, if you did see that or if you do know what I'm talking about, the whole build-up, the kind of Hollywood production of, of promoting you know, the leader of the nation as a god is what I'm referring to. Because in this situation, Caesar is God. And that's being reaffirmed and reasserted. And the Romans at that time saying, we're getting a bit sick and tired of all these other you know, half-pot religions saying, Caesar is God. And the church is under real pressure. So what we have here is Paul talking about the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's basically saying, when Jesus appears, and Christians believe that Jesus is coming again, the second coming, he is coming back as king and lord. When Jesus appears, you will see that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. Now, there's also an interesting little subplot here, the immortal one. Thank you, Tim, little note there. The immortal one, because he's also taking a side swipe at Greek culture, if, if Roman culture was the, sort of the, the, the preeminent one, there was still a very strong Greek influence, and that is actually still very prevalent today, it's certainly not uncommon. And the, the Greek philosophy, the Greek view was that we are all immortals. That wasn't the Roman view, but the Greek view was that we are, we are all immortal. Yes, you know, we die, but all that means is that we are transformed or we are transfigured or we become something else. But actually, Paul makes the point here in verse 16 that there is only one immortal one, only one, and that is God Himself. So, in a breath, in a sentence, in a verse, if you like, Paul deals with the preeminent philosophy of Caesar worship and the preeminent philosophy of, of immortality. We're all immortal in one shape or form or another. But he says here, he says here, that Jesus, God, is the only immortal one. Now let me just unpack that for a moment. I haven't got a long time to spend on this. But it is the Christian belief that we do live forever. To be immortal is to have life and to be able to import, impart life and to give it away. But we as Christians have eternal life because of Jesus Christ. Actually as you read through the scriptures it is clear that beyond death we are going to face the judgment and many sadly, desperately sadly are going to face a living death. It's vague about what that is, some call it hell. Jesus clearly believed it, he taught about it. We don't hear much about it, but I'm afraid it's in the book and if I were to rip the references to hell out of this, my book would fall apart. So we can go, no, 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 don't read that bit, don't read that bit, but actually we'd be doing ourselves a great disservice. Hell seems to be a living death. I don't know what that means, but I suspect that the living death is going to make our little ideas of hell, you know, demons with pitchforks and a party going on, seem absolutely absurd. So Paul makes this point that actually God alone is immortal. However, here's the good news. In Christ and through Christ alone we can enter into eternal life. An eternal life that is abundant life. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. That's his plan for you. Not eternal damnation and death. But as you press into God, as you get to know Jesus, as you explore your, and live out your baptism vows, so you come into this eternal life. So he then goes, and I'm kind of doing this in reverse order because I just felt that for our Western minds, the logic of it ran better. So he says to Timothy, he says, Take hold, Timothy, these are tough times, but you need to take hold of eternal life, verse 12. Take hold of it. And the idea there is not sort of just picking something up like you pick up a shirt, try it on in front of the mirror, no, I'm not going to wear that and toss it to one side. He's like, Grab hold, hold on for your life to eternal life don't be deterred, don't be distracted, don't let somebody rip it out of your hand hold on to it Timothy watch my lips it's as if Paul is saying hold on to eternal life the way we as Christians do that is we do exactly what James did and exactly what Claudia did we say to Christ Christ I believe in you Christ I repent of my sins Christ Forgive me and help me to live on you for you. And then you do it. You don't just pay lip service to it. You do it. So we, Paul says to Timothy, take hold of eternal life. He then says, verse 12 as well, fight the good fight. I, I, I mean, this is so important, the message, because many of our Christians these days nationally, internationally, we've got complacent, we've become apathetic. You know, that last song that we sung, I'm grateful for for Joe and Sam for leading us in that. You know, blow through the caverns of my soul. Wake up, my soul, wake up. It's like like we're asleep. we, We gotta wake up to what it is we're living in and the realities around us, those seen and unseen. And we've got to, you know, you know, get dressed and not try and do silly things in our dressing gowns like I did, you know, try and do shortcuts. You know, we've got to get serious with this thing. There's joy in it, it's all not a dirge, but we've got to get to grips and, and really go for it. I think James said he wanted to, well, maybe he didn't, I think he said something like he wanted to press on into this thing. So fight the good fight. And then there's a curious thing, verse 11, as I say, I'm working back through the, the talk because actually what Paul says, verse 11, is flee from this, run for your life. So the way of fighting your good fight is first of all to run for your life. That doesn't even make sense. But what he's referring to is run from those things that are gonna kill your spirit, kill your soul, things that are gonna shipwreck you, things that are gonna overwhelm you. You know, I heard a desperately sad thing, I'm not gonna mention the name, because I am really distraught about this, and I might actually choke, but a, a good friend of, of mine, not of the, in the Vineyard Church, but not too far from here, this week announced that he heads up a charity, a Christian charity, and he, it was announced that he's stepping down because of um, in a, an inappropriate relationship, that means he's, You know, usually means he's had an affair. I read that, and I just went, "Oh!" In fact, my initial response was so uh, so fed up and so disappointed. I thought, "Oh, what's the point?" You know, because over the years we've had a few of these. You know, great people, people who've you know who've taught and ministered into the church and. And you know you you look up to them, and you buy the books, and you read the, go to the conferences, and says what? And then next thing you know, they've run off with the secretary or something. And I I first, you may not be bothered, but it really bothered me so much. And I've got to say this to you because I actually tweeted this week: You, you must realize, folks, that as a Christian, the longer you are a Christian. And the harder you push into this thing and the more you try and take hold of the Christian life, the more you try and understand it and live it out and work it Like particularly in our culture, the more difficult it gets. The temptations become worse. Think about it for a moment. If you are not, if you are, if you are trying to live out a life where you don't walk in sin, where you don't fall into sin, you get more pressure. And actually, as, a, as a, somebody who's been a Christian now for over 30 years, I have to tell you, I wrestle with temptation more than ever because all sorts of things come my way. I'm parted at all sorts of little secrets and stuff. And the temptations are worse. The only way of making the temptations go away is by giving in. Suddenly instead of swimming against the flow of this, this tide of humanity running headlong down this waterfall called death is, is to try ever harder, ever harder to swim against the stream and that's what every good Christian does and that's why Paul says fight the good fight. It gets tougher. Yeah, you get a, few, you get a bit wiser. Like the seasoned veteran bearing various scars, you don't lose your nerve quite so easily when temptation comes again. You know that if you resist it, it will pass. You know not to do certain things. I've told you many a times about the, 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 the alcoholic I counseled. Uh, he wasn't an alcoholic, he, just, he was a farmer and every harvest time after, after harvest was in, he would go on a four-day drink drunken bender and his wife and he came after another drunken bender. He only ever did it at harvest time. And, uh, and he said, and his wife said, you know, Chris, help us. This has just become so predictable and, it's, and, and it leaves him covered in shame and we just don't know how to break it. And I said to the guy, I said, okay, so tell me about how you do that. Well, how does this work? What are the mechanics of this? He says, well, I, you know, I, I, I get my old bike out. I said, what do you mean you get your old bike out? So I've got this old sit up and beg bike and I go downtown and then I sort of forget the next four days. I said, well, throw the bike away. And he thought I was joking. I said, throw the bike away. Get rid of the bike as a start. And there was a whole habitual thing. You know, sin often has to be planned. Well, the wife's out. I can spend a couple of hours on the computer. know what I mean, guys? Don't do the things that are easy to resist to put you in the place where you end up sinning. You know, we gotta, we gotta get a little bit cannier. Fight the good fight. Temptations will come, but we do not fall into them. We do not have to fall into them. It's not, it's not a foregone conclusion that we will fall. Fight the good fight. So the first thing, Paul says, run for your life. Run for the, from those things that will lead you into sin and will destroy and shipwreck your faith. And the second thing is chase after, pursue. So you're not just running away. Sometimes the best form of attack, of defense, is attack. And Paul says, attack it. Go for it. Be relentless. Be like Terminator 2, you know, relentlessly running along. Another movie reference there. You're obviously not movie buffs. (laughs) Some of you know what I'm talking about. This unstoppable thing. Just keep going for it. Yeah, run away from that. That's just going to lead to all kinds of misery. But run towards this. Pursue this. Take hold of this, he says. And what does that mean? I've got just a... Uh, spending my last minute or two just unpacking this and then invite the band up and we'll move on to the baptisms. What does it mean? We can spend hours talking about what it means to be a Christian, but... But first of all, I say this, be a lifelong lover. When you, you know, what, what are the things you are to pursue? Be a lifelong lover of God. Pursue intimacy with God. Get vulnerable with God. Somebody gave me a word just before the service. The price of intimacy is vulnerable, vulnerability i like to think about that some more, but get vulnerable and get real with God. Press into God, the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength and your neighbor, as Jesus added, as yourself that's the first thing that I'm talking about let's get real, let's get down let's get, let's get honest here pursue God, make Him your goal not your, your handicap at the golf course or the next promotion or the, the next upgrade on, on the, of car or something make God, make Christ make Him not what He can do to you Him, your magnificent obsession secondly be a lifelong student You know, uh, I I am alarmed, I am concerned that we don't spend enough time individually in studying God's word. I know that for many people, they open the Bible when they want comfort, when they want direction, when they want help. That's not bad, go to it, go for it. Uh, I do that myself, but it's not enough. We need to be systematic in the way we study God's word. Next month, I'm going to begin this series on Jonah. We have, always, in the autumn, we have a, what we call a deeper series. It, it will comfort you and it will challenge you. And we're going to get some books, in, you can read and get ahead of me on the game and feel smug if you wish. But I'd rather you do that because we have to study God's word. We can't just be those who, you know, highlight all the, you know, God loves you and all this kind of stuff. You know, great, take that in. It's foundational. But we must be studies of God's word. I was reading a little bit of C.S. Lewis this week, and he said something. He said, You know, people don't, when they are studiers of God's word, they don't come across something which they suddenly so disagree with that they walk out on God and say, Well, I'm never going to be a Christian again. That just doesn't happen. In fact, I thought about it. I thought, No, I've never had that. Yeah, I've had people wrestling with God's word, struggling to understand, having to sort of, you know, not, you know, finding it difficult. It is difficult. That's why it's a sweat sometimes. But people generally don't get so affronted by what they read that they walk out. What happens when people, let's use some in-house language, when people fall away, is that actually they don't fall away, they slip away. They stop praying. Or maybe they pray, but their prayers are, oh bless mum, bless dad, bless my job, bless the dog, oh bless auntie because she's got a bad knee. It becomes like... So minimalistic. They, they, the the next thing is that they they, they actually stop coming to church. They they make you know twice a month and then once a month, or they stop going to home group. And it's not an; they never get up one morning and say, "I'm going to start leaving church." It kind of creeps up on them. And C.S. Lewis said, "You know, people don't walk out on God; they slip away." they slip away. My God, let's turn that slipping away around. Let's get serious again. Second thing, being a lifelong student. And finally, be a lifelong servant. We get bored of serving. This place, you know, when we moved into this place, a lot of people said to me, well, you know, having had years in in various schools, they said to me, it must be great now that you don't have to sort of do all that chair setting up and all that rest. And it was great, it was great. But we needed three times as many servants. We need to do three times as many. I mean, the GLS conference that we do as an act of service to the wider church and it requires 60, 70 volunteers. I don't know, we may have all our volunteers now, but we, we do. But, you know, b- bless God. But there are other areas. I mean, the refreshment ministry, I love the donuts here. I love seeing our kids. I know you parents don't always appreciate it, but I love seeing our kids walking around with so much jam around their face that they look like they've, the color of their skin has changed. It just, I don't know why, it makes me laugh. I don't laugh when I've been walking around and find I've got one stuck on my foot and I've trailed it across the carpet, but you know how it is. I love our refreshments ministry. I love the way that still after all these years we give away donuts. We give away 400 donuts every Sunday. 400. Get, work it out. Do the math. How many donuts is that that we've given away in 25 years? I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm sure... There's something to do with that, you know, because I eat my fair share. But my point is this, we're called to be lifelong servants. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, not when he was a young man at the beginning of his ministry trying to impress someone when he was willing to run around and open the door and do any old thing. At the end of his ministry, Jesus puts on the serving towel and washes the disciples' feet and he says, as I have done so you should do. We are all called to serve all of the time. And I think I'm right in saying, actually, having mentioned refreshments, that. We are really struggling with our refreshment team at the moment. I would love it. Those of you who are Christians and you know you've been able to tick the boxes on so much of what I've said already, I would love it if some of you would go to Ray. It's Ray in here, actually. It's Ray. Our, our build. Ray, just stand up. Just look around. That's Ray. Go to Ray and say, Ray, yeah, give him a clap. <clears throat> you know that is. That is more appropriate than you know, because Ray is an absolute all-star. We, we kind of headhunted him. Uh, he was doing a very responsible job in, in a major charity, and he came here to serve us, and boy does he serve. And so clap Ray on the back as often as you see him, but I, thank you. But seriously, I would love it if you know, there was a line of people going up to Ray saying, okay, once a month, what do you need me to do? Lifelong servants. And don't say, well, I did it in 1987 for four months. Great, God bless you. What about now? You see, this is very practical. Paul is saying, fight the good fight. Don't just slip away. Don't just get weary and slope off. Don't just kind of give up through apathy or something like that. Become a lifelong lover of Jesus. Hold on to it. Run towards it. Become a lifelong student of God's word. Get to know it. Get inside it. Let it get inside you and be a lifelong servant. And if nothing else, if you don't know what to do, talk to Ray afterwards and sign up for that. And all of this, when measured over a lifetime, is what makes a Christian. You love God. You love his word. And you serve till it hurts and a little bit more. Let's all stand, let's have the band out, we'll just have a song and then while we're singing the song, I'm gonna change and Richard will change and I don't know if James and, and um, Claudia need to change but we'll, we'll go straight into the baptisms after that. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I wanna say thank you to you for your word. Your word is life. And thank you that you offer us life in Christ. You offer us a way out. You offer us that potential in Christ to live a life abundantly and forever. And Lord, we would be those who take it and take it seriously and live it and don't give up and don't succumb to temptation and don't become just another statistic. Lord, we would have life and have it in abundance in Jesus' name, amen.